Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. The first thing you notice is the buzzing in your ears. That gets doubled down with some blurry vision, maybe some tunnel vision. Uh, then you start noticing that your palms are, are pretty sweaty. If you can, you start cracking your knuckles. You start messing with any kind of trinket you might have on, thumb in pocket, four fingers in pocket, all five fingers in pocket, hand out of pocket. Your pacing is matching your heart rate. You've got dry mouth. You're absolutely freaking out because uh, apparently your stomach's up to your chest and you, your body is freaking out on you. Dropping the kids off at the ex's house? Just drop, uh, you just uh, hung up the phone? You waiting for a phone call? That relative just showed up? That relative just left? They haven't called. They haven't shown up. What are you freaking out about? Maybe you've lived with this for a while. You can't shake off a cold. You're always getting sick. Maybe, maybe you're compulsive now. At this point, you can't stop yourself. What's for dinner? What do you care? Okay. Hey, how are you doing? I told you to leave me alone. You don't want to be angry, but you just can't help it. You've developed an irregular heartbeat. You have heart palpitations. You're always clenched. You're always uptight. You don't know why, but you just can't shake it. You might be one of... 40 million Americans that have had an anxiety episode over the last year. That's about 18% of the population. You might be one of the people that have filled one of the three and a half billion prescriptions that are filled every year for anti-anxiety medication. That's 12 for every man, woman, and child in the United States. Your lady in the room and you're between the ages of 25 to 40, roughly around that, about 25% of you, 20 to 25% of you, depending on the study, are on anti-anxiety medication. That's a 15% hike over the last 10 years or so. As a society, we're absolutely freaking out. It's always been that way, but for whatever reason, it just seems to be more pr prominent now. See, anxiety is, is normal. And in fact, if you don't have anxiety, something's probably wrong with you. Um, not because of those reasons. We'll get to those in a second. But see, back in the day when you had to hunt for dinner instead of just go through the drive-thru, uh, there were mammoths that tried to hunt you too. And it was this game that we called life. So either you ate or they ate, you lived or they lived. And we kind of played this game. And uh, most of us have a prefrontal cortex that helps us with our rational thinking. And our brains developed a limbic system as well 
And so now our rational, with our emotion and our memories, begin to develop what we now call the fight or flight syndrome. There is danger. I know that. What should I do? And like a little burglary alarm, your body, for good reason, warns you of danger. The problem is, your body can't tell the difference between a mammoth and a text. A mammoth and your boss. Death or traffic. And we have pumped our bodies, because it's a natural reaction, full of hormones, getting us ready to fight or fly for our lives. But you're sitting, dropping off the kids. And so you get home, and your body, I mean, you just feel like you get ready to take on Mayweather. You know what I mean? Like, you're just like, let's go. Somebody get in front of me. I dare you. Somebody cut me off. I am ready to go. Yeah, your body is getting ready because it thinks it's in danger. But you're not. You're sitting at home. One of the uh, articles uh, that I read for, for, this, uh, for this week, the, the author had convinced herself she was allergic to water. That's why she was sick. That's why everything was going on. And her body, every time she drank water, heart rate went up, sweat, clenched jaw, clenched fist. And she's like, what is going? Yeah, yeah, you're freaking out. And you don't know what's going on. Whatever it might be for you, we're all freaking out. There's a New York Times article that said if you're living in 2017, when it was written, and you're not anxious, something's wrong with you. Right? Whether it's politics, whether it's racial tension, whether it's crime, whether it's the fact that Facebook knows what you had for breakfast before you do. I mean, there's always something to freak out about. And in our culture, we want that. Stress is good. If you don't stress out about the test, you're not going to study for it. If you aren't driven, if you're not motivated to be number one, whether you're a Fortune 500 company leader or you're a stay-at-home mom, if your kids are not going to be the best, if your business isn't going to make it, if you don't keep going, you will get left behind. Because you've got to make more money than last year. You've got to lose more weight than last year. You've got to be better. Your kids have to get stronger. There was a third grade, there was a sign for third graders at Greg Rogers Elementary School that said, are they college ready? We did a series on anxiety for the student ministry. And studies show, first of all, that about 13% of teenagers are now on anti-anxiety medication. The average onset of anxiety medication now for prescription is about six, seven years old. Okay, and they have registered levels of anxiety that are the same as a mental health patient in the 1950s or 60s. I know you want your kids to be well-rounded, but I'm going to stand up for this side of the room right here for a second. Let's chill out for a bit, okay? Let's relax a little bit because we're freaking them out because you got to get ahead because you got to be better because you got to do more. Mr. Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, I'm going to quote him. He spoke on controlled neurosis in one of his books. 
Controlled neurosis, controlled freakouts, he said, are really good, not at a happier life and not at a better life, but at getting what you want. He says, yeah, anxiety, freaking out, being neurotic, neurotic. You might have a horrible life, but you'll get ahead. That's the state of the world that we live in. Some of you are catastrophe fans. I'm a if there's news, it's always going to be bad news. I love it. Okay? And every time I preach, every time, something in my life comes up where I have to actually teach myself because I need it. So about 48 hours ago or so, um, our dear puppy, Belgian Malinois, nonsense, crazy mutt thing, monster, decided to chew the baseboards of our home from, like, the living room all the way to the bedroom. Um, even, she's dedicated and she cared about style, apparently. And she, there was no mess. You know why? She ate it. Paint. Wood. We're like, oh, gosh. So Kate was wonderful. She stayed up all night. Uh, with the dog who threw up 17 times. Was it 18? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Threw it all up. Apparently, we're good. The little one, we were having a party for my dad's birthday yesterday. We were, notice, were having a party. And um, I, I don't know if he just doesn't like parties, a little 15-pound rat terrier, uh, or he was just upset that the big one was getting all the attention. She, he decided to get deathly sick and has to go to the emergency room. There's, yes, there are dog emergency rooms. And yes, there was a dog ambulance that, yes, took our dog to in emergency internal surgery. Because over the last 18 months, this dog has eaten carpet, mulch, uh, toys, what else? Uh, wood chips. And it's all hanging there. It's all been sitting there. And the prognosis is not very good. Every time the phone rang, it's them telling me my dog is dead. Okay, the dog we got about five weeks before Kate and I got married has been through everything with us. So I was fine, but Kate was a mess. I was absolutely an anxious mess. And I know it's silly, okay? And I know it's a 15-pound dog. But there's a lot, there was a lot for me to learn in those moments. Because I was a catastrophe kind of guy. Some of you might be a polar... High school students deal with polarization of, of life, and college students do as well. There's a good school and a bad school. And if I pick the bad school, I'm going to be homeless in three years. There's a good career and a bad career. And if I pick the bad career now at 17, my life will be over before it even got started, right? And we kind of live in these tensions. There's one medical, you know, direction or there's another. Which one are you going to pick? And if you pick wrong, it's your fault. Yeah, there's a little bit of pressure. Kate loves to personalize anxiety. I'm speaking for her. So for about 24 hours, we were a mess, her particularly. She says she wasn't, but she was. Going, what did I do? 
right? What did, I'm freaking out and it's my fault. Something bad has happened and it's my fault. What did I do? I am, not the dog is dying, I killed the dog, right? Because we just, because we're freaking out. The dog's fine. Apparently, I didn't make that clear during first service. The dog survived. We've got a second mortgage out. We're good. We're good. Okay, the dog's good. I'm not, but the dog's good. Worry and anxiety and freaking out. And if I don't do it, if I can't come up with the right choice, if I don't make the right decision, my life, my family, my children, my career, my future, it's all over. What do we do? Jesus has something to say to us this morning. Let's pray before we get going. Matthew chapter 6, if you've got a Bible, we're going to begin in verse 24 or 25, one of those two. God, Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that in the midst of worry and anxiety, silly or huge, you're near. We don't believe that. We don't trust that. We don't think of that. But it is true. So this morning, we continue in our worship by going to your word Give us the eyes to see you, the ears to hear you, the minds and the hearts to know and to love you more each and every day and to follow you closer every day. We need your help for this, Jesus, so we ask it in your name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. What are we going to do? Because we're freaking out. Therefore... I tell you, verse 25, don't be anxious, because that's the remedy, right? I try all the time with Kate. When she's freaking out, if you just stopped freaking out, we'd be a lot happier, right? How many of you ever, don't raise your hand. Jesus is like, you're freaking out? Stop it. There. Do not be anxious about your life. Hear me on this. Jesus is going to have some hard words for us this morning. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. That is a command. That is not a suggestion. That is not a principle. That is not a helpful tip. It is a command from the words, from the mouth of Jesus. Stop freaking out. Stop worrying. Do not be anxious. And immediately, some of us are already checked out. Because we've always been because we were born that way, because it's generational, because it's chemical, because it's sociological. We're anxious. That's the way it is. Stop telling me this. I'm out. We can hear the words of Jesus in all of the Sermon on the Mount, but particularly in this passage, from a place of fear or a place of faith. And that's going to be one of the notes that you can take uh, if you follow along with the message, is that followers of Jesus... We can follow from an identity in, in faith and not in fear. The way of Jesus invites us to follow in faith and not in fear. And fear of condemnation is not the way that you are to hear the words of Jesus this morning. Jesus is not looking to beat you up. 
He's actually looking to propel you forward in faith. He's not coming to you and saying, hey, you're freaking out and you're doing horrible. He's saying, hey, you're freaking out and I want to help you through it. He doesn't want to condemn you. Don't look and listen to Jesus in fear this morning. Listen to him in faith. Where does he want to take me? What does he want to do in my walk with him? Because the reality is I am anxious. We are all anxious. If you're not anxious, something's wrong with you. So what does Jesus want? Do not be anxious about your life. Just that. What you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, but what you will put on. Listen to him in, fe- in faith, not in fear. Fe- fear is natural, right? You didn't teach your little kids to be afraid. Somehow, some way, they figured out that there's a monster under the bed. Unless you told them there was one, in which case you need help, right? If you made your children afraid, that's a different issue. There's a different sermon, and there's somebody else. I won't be able to talk to you about that. If you told your children to be afraid, there's something wrong with you. Most kids just naturally, all of a sudden, begin to be afraid. Kate shares that when she was little, right, she would not be able to go to bed. And when she, I'm not going to pick on you. I'm going to share a couple stories. I asked you for permission. <laughs> She'd come up as little, you know, little Kate, always cute, always been cute, always will be cute. Kate, when she got put to bed, wake up and go and just stare at her parents. And her parents would freak out because they'd be like, there's somebody watching us. Turn around and there's Kate, two-year-old Kate. She's freaking out because she's afraid because she doesn't want to go to bed. We learn fear very naturally. It comes very natural to us. And then when we become teenagers, right, we're obsessed with fear. That's why all the parks become haunted houses. And we love to feel the thrill of fear. And then we grow up and we watch CNN for fun, even more afraid, because apparently the world is going down the toilet and you can't do anything about it unless your neighbor would change. And your neighbor's watching the other channel and thinking the same thing about you. But we love to be afraid. Politics thrives on this, right? We love to be afraid. And Jesus says, your life, all of it, all that your life is, don't worry. Don't let it paralyze you. Don't let worry paralyze you. Hear me in faith and let it propel you forward. What does God want to do with those moments in those circumstances that you and I are absolutely freaking out? He says, do not worry. Do not be anxious about what you will drink, what you'll eat, or your body, what you'll put on. And he's going to ask us a series of questions, beginning in verse 25, that are going to kind of hit us right between the eyes. For some of us, it'll be a couple of different questions. But hear Jesus and hear him in faith. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Yes and no, right? If I don't eat, I die. And if I don't wear clothes, the cops get called. So there, I get what Jesus is asking or saying, but isn't life I mean, life is food. The body is clothing. 
But it's way much, so much more than that. And sometimes our worries, what it does, what worry does is, and linking it back to last week's passage and two weeks ago with Pastor Jin, what worry does is we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say we're laying up treasures in heaven, but the reality is, is our eyes are often on the things of earth. And so our worry actually reflects our values. Our worry reflects what we're thinking about. Our worry reflects how much we have minimalized our life and simplified our life to think that all we are is a student. All you are is a mom. And I don't say that in a bad way, but you're also a child of God first and longer than you are a mom, right? And so what begins to happen is what you worry about, you start focusing on, and you can't think about anything else. So everything else you know, everything else that's true, everything else that you focused on, everything else that you know about your relationship with Jesus goes out the window because your life is only food and your body is only clothing. So Jesus says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? See, the fear continues. And for us, for some of us, it might be that fear of not being valuable enough, that my life doesn't count. And that's the next part for your notes, the fear of not being valuable enough. We're afraid that if we don't have the best food, our life is over. Or we don't have the best clothing, our life is over. So if, if, I, don't, if I don't make my own life, if I don't create my own identity, whatever my thing is, we always ask the students, what do you want to be known for? right? Whatever your thing is, if they took that away, your life would be over because that's all your life is. Verse 26 says, look at the birds of the air. It's kind of weird. A couple weeks ago, we were in Ohio and we're really into bird watching in Ohio. It's kind of weird. I always thought it was weird, but apparently it's biblical. Apparently, they're just following the words of Jesus. I'm not, I heard an amen. I'm not much of a bird watcher, but apparently, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. You'll learn something. They neither sow nor reap. They don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They don't have a 401k, and they're not freaking out. But they do go out and seek things, right? I mean, birds go out and get fed. Martin Luther, in a commentary for this passage, says that God wants nothing to do with a man who waits for God to drop a goose in his mouth, right? Some people have taken that verse and said, just wait it out, man. And Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat, right? So that's not what this verse is saying. Birds do work. Birds do go find food, there's something deeper. Jesus is using something simple to teach us something profound. Little 15-pound Kona has taught me a lot this weekend. And we need to take those opportunities, this is a little side note, we need to take the opportunities of the little things and the things that seem insignificant for the Lord, for the Spirit of God to teach us something sometimes. And he says, look at the birds. Yeah, they, they work, but they don't worry. And this is what he's trying to get at. Are you not of more value than they? You pray the Lord's Prayer. 
Do you believe the Lord's Prayer? Do you trust the Lord's Prayer? That your heavenly Father, that, right? That's the phrasing of the Lord's Prayer. He's connecting it. These passages are connected in one. Jesus didn't stop and come back next week and preach it. He was teaching this message. He said the Lord's Prayer. Do not lay up treasures on earth but in heaven and do not be anxious. And so this is a continuation. He says, is your spirituality, is your faith leaking into your worry, into your circumstances where who God is to you affects how you make decisions? Who God is to you should affect how you make decisions. But it often does not. We have a fear of not being loved enough. We have a fear that God is up in the sky somewhere, and he might be big, and he might be powerful, but he does not care. And what Jesus is getting at here is not like the first question about food and clothing, right? He's saying, are you not of much more value? Are you not important? Some of us are afraid we're not. And so we have built our life and we live our life to make ourselves important. And then I wish the two verses, or three verses that I wish were not in the Bible, um, the next two questions, but they are, so they have something wonderful to, share, to, sh- to show us and teach us. And, and the Lord Jesus doesn't want us to hear these verses in, in fear, but, but in faith. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Oh, that hurts. When's the last time that you worried a drunk driver off the road when your kids were coming home from college? When is the last time that your worry on the plane telepathically transferred knowledge and information to the pilot and now he's going to fly you home safely because you worried. When is the last time that you worried lust out of your husband's mind? When is the last time that worry accomplished something positive in your life? When is the last time that it worked? When is the last time that you worried And your life was better because of it. Jesus is very frank. He says, uh, yeah, how's it going, by the way? Right? Some of us are are doomsday prophet in that way. I told you, this is how I am. That's really a fear of not being in control enough. And that's the next one, fear of not being in control enough. We freak out when we know we're not in control. And and for some of us guys and and ladies as well, but for for some personalities, um, Fear, we don't necessarily fight, we fly. So if you can't manipulate your wife, you're just not going to engage with her. If you can't manipulate your children, you'll just stop. You'll just stop caring and just drop them off. If you can't control your work environment, you'll just become a disgruntled employee. If I can't control it, if I don't have the power to accomplish what I want, then all of a sudden I just, I fly away. And I don't care anymore. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? How's it going? Probably not very good. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. A lot of considering and a lot of nature walks. Let me go out on a walk. You know? <laughs> Look at the birds. Look at the lilies. Look at the flowers. 
how they grow. Have you ever seen a flower grow? Apparently, they don't toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. That is the one that for me hits me right in the eyes. Like, why? Does he care about clothing? Uh. He's saying Solomon in all of his glory, in all of his beauty, in all of his impressiveness. You can you know what you know what Jesus was telling me as I was getting ready for that message, for this message, and, and, and I heard this. No matter how impressive you think you are, God's natural handiwork will always trump yours. You can build as much as you want. You can have as much as you want. You can be as impressive as you want. You can have the admiration of whoever you want. You can do whatever you want. And a flower is still more impressive and it's more beautiful and it's still more glorious. What? Because I love to be loved. Carlo and I have worked wonderfully together for quite a few years now. Crazy how time flies. He loves to be nice. I don't. He's a nice one. We're like, yeah, yeah, we do this whole thing, right? Like, he's the good student ministry leader. I'm the, like the mean one. So I tell him all to be quiet, and then Carlo gives him like all the food. He shows up with all the stuff, and they love him, and I'm always the mean one. But you know, my, my fear of man doesn't show up with, with wanting people, like, like to be nice to people. I just want you to be impressed by me. I just want you to think I'm awesome. I don't care if you like me. And Jesus says that a flower beats me 10 out of 10. What? <laughs> what? No matter what my PR max on the deadlift is, no matter how fast I run my mile, no matter how many accomplishments I can get at work, a flower is still more impressive. What? Some of us are, being, are anxious. We're afraid of not being admired enough. So we live our lives and we're freaking out because we just want to matter. We want to be noticed. And Jesus says, you're you're running yourself to the ground. You're on a treadmill, man. You're moving really fast, but you ain't going anywhere. Wow. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Interesting comparison. Oh, you of little faith. Ouch. If somebody measured your, your walk with Jesus based on how anxious and worried you are, how, how, how are you doing? If the measure of spiritual maturity that we used at Paseo del Rey Church was how many times you've been worried this week, how many of us would be like, I'm out. <laughs> See you guys later. <laughs> Again, are we hearing this in fear? Are we hearing this in faith? What does God want for us by calling us you of little faith, you don't trust me. Therefore, do not be anxious. There's a command again. Therefore, is therefore a... Therefore, is therefore... Thank you. Hey, listen. 
That's the students over there sitting in a little corner. Therefore is therefore a reason. Why is the do not be anxious there? Will he not clothe you? Knowing who God is affects how I can respond to this command. If I know who God is, it'll affect how I view myself. It'll affect how I view my circumstances. It'll affect how I face the day. Because I know that I'm more valuable than grass, because I know that he will clothe me, therefore I will not be anxious. Saying, what shall I eat? What shall I drink? What shall I wear? I cannot be comforted by this command, do not be anxious. I cannot be comforted by the words of Jesus unless I know who Jesus is. Unless I know how big he is. Unless I know how powerful he is. Unless I know how good he is to me. But if I do, and if I trust who God is, it'll change how I view my circumstances. The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. I heard these quotes, and I had to write them down because they were, ho- they were terrible when it comes to anxiety. A diamond is merely a lump of coal that did well under pressure. Life is tough, but so are you. Hopefully. Otherwise, you're not going to be a diamond. You're going to be a pile of dirt. Right? One piece of coal got obliterated. The other one became a diamond. Go get them. That's not Jesus' advice. Jesus' comfort does not come from, go get him, cowboy. It comes from, do you know who I am? Gentiles seek after the same things that you and I seek. Gentile and Christian, they both show up to work. What's the difference? Gentiles seek in fear of not finding children rest in the provision of faith. And that's the next part of your notes. Gentiles seek in the fear of not finding. Children seek in faith for provision. The seeking is the same. The need is the same. Where we're looking is different. Where we are looking is different. The Christian does not look for value, love, control, and approval from the things down here. He's always got his eyes up. By the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit's help, has his eyes up. I might be seeking. The Gentiles seek after all these things too. What's the difference? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. That's going to change everything. So you're sitting there. Okay, what am I going to take away? If you you haven't been listening, you're going to stop listening. I'm going to be over here in this section right here. High schoolers, middle schoolers. Know God, talk to God. Know God, talk to God. Read your Bible, 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 read your Bible. Know who he is. Know who he is. Know who he is. And be honest. And be honest, 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 honest. And all of a sudden, spiritual maturity will develop. But... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. The Lord's Prayer 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and give us today this daily bread. Let's not switch the order up. Let's not switch the order up. He says, a follower of Jesus goes, okay, I care about my soul more than I care about my bank account. I care about my soul more than I care about the weight on the scale. I care about my children's soul more than how popular they are. Not that any of you live through your children. I'm just saying. I care more about my children's soul than I do whether or not they're in seven club sports. Because let me tell you something. Susie's probably not going to be a professional soccer player, but I really hope in 40 years she's still following Jesus. Don't, let's not wonder why sometimes our children are not as close to Jesus as we would hope. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I'll just leave that there. Trust, the trust that comes with following Jesus, that should be there with following Jesus. The kingdom of God, I mean, that's just such a big concept. We don't have time to go into all of that. I'll just say this. A king has authority and he has power in his kingdom. Amen? Seeking his kingdom and seeking his righteousness is I'm giving God authority in my life that he already has. I'm just recognizing it and allowing his power to work through me. So his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven will be as I allow his authority and his power to dictate my life and my circumstances and how I view them. And then all of a sudden it's going to ooze out of me in my family, in my relationships, at my work, in my neighborhood, my city, and to the ends of the earth. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. What? That's how, he should have ended verse, in verse 33. Right? You're anxious. Stop it. I love you. I'll take care of you. Go forth and conquer. And he adds another piece. So don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be anxious for itself. It's going to keep happening. And I mentioned genetic. I mentioned prescription. We have fallen into a trap sometimes of thinking that because we're anxious, we're second-class followers of Jesus. Or because we have sought out professional help, we are second-class citizens of Jesus, uh, citizens of his kingdom. And I'll say this. Um, I think the most faithful thing some of us can do that are struggling that much with anxiety is roll over, take our medication, roll back over, cry, and thank God that one day his kingdom will come, his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and he will wipe away every tear from every eye. And the difference and the, and the, and the defining line for a Christian is not whether I'm anxious or whether I'm not anxious. It's what do I do with that faith, with that anxiety? What do I do with it? Do I go to him 
or do I run from him? We have fallen into this trap of like pretending is better than actually struggling. Like I'm going to pretend like I'm fine and that's more faithful than struggling and barely making it. And sometimes maybe us seeking professional help. And I'm just saying that because I know the reality. And Jesus needs to have something to say to you in those moments. If Jesus is not Lord of your life in the moments of absolute weakness, then he's not Lord of your life at all. And if he's not good enough to take care of you in those moments and hold on to you in those moments, then he's not good at all. Jesus knows. He says that your father knows that you need all these things. And he doesn't want you to be naive about it. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Don't worry about tomorrow. We'll we'll go over this again. Wow. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a wonderful British preacher, and he said, let your cares drive you to God. I should not mind if I have many worries, if each one of them leads me to prayer. If every anxiety I have makes me lean more on Jesus, it's a benefit. A lot of us will read that passage and say, I can't be anxious. If I'm anxious, I'm not a follower. I'm failing. Don't hear it in fear of condemnation. Hear it in faith that God wants to move you, that God wants to propel you forward. Know him. Talk to him. Some of us, I'm not a mom for many different reasons. I'm not a mom. Some of us moms, some of you moms, that's a better phrasing. Some of you moms. You're a child of God before you're a mom. Dads that work really hard to provide, God provides for you before you provide for them. Those of us that struggle and want to and desire to work really hard, he says, it is finished. Don't forget who you are before God and then go try to face the anxieties and the struggles and the trouble of the world. You won't be able to. You're a child of God. He loves you. He cares for you. He provides for you. He wants you. He hears you. Go forth and conquer. Amen? He is so much more wonderful than we could imagine. He's so much more caring than we could ever hope. That's our God. That's Jesus for us. Let me pray for us. God, so much turmoil and worry and sin inside of me. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in me as it is in heaven. 
I forget that you love me. I forget that you know me. I forget that you care about me. I forget that you hear me. And then I go and try to live my life. And I fall flat on my face. Jesus, I need your help. Jesus, I believe that there are people here that need your help. So we come to you confidently in faith that you will answer us, that you will meet us, that you will comfort us, that you will be with us. Tomorrow we'll be anxious. Tomorrow we'll have trouble. But you will never leave us or forsake us so we can wake up tomorrow morning and continue to follow you. Thank you. In your name.